You know, five talks ago when I introduced this series, I told you the three kinds of people in the world. They're wreckers, they're occupiers, and builders. Wreckers tear stuff down. Occupiers basically utilize what somebody else builds up. And builders are people that are very special. And, and in that first talk, I shared with you that there are four, there, there are four attitudes or four thoughts that form a construct in the, in the heart of every builder. And in the message called The Heart of the Builder, I told you what those were. Uh, builders believe they're here for a purpose. Number two, if you're, good, if, you're, uh, if you're a builder and you're here for a purpose, you've got to leave things better than you found them. To leave things better than you found them, you've got to change the landscape. And number four, if you're going to change the landscape truly, then you're going to have to add something. You're going to have to solve a problem. And so for the last several weeks, we've been talking about being a builder, and we've been exploring the book of Nehemiah in the Bible. The only thing is, and I think I put this talk off till the fifth week because I was just kind of putting it off as long as I possibly could, um, there's a myth that can kind of develop, a sort of positive, hopeful myth that can develop in this context that we've been discussing for the last few weeks. And that myth could go something like this. Well, what I really need to do is just decide to be a builder, to have the heart of a builder. I'm here for a purpose. I need to leave things better than I found them. I'm going to have to change the landscape. I'm going to find a way to solve needs, meet people's needs, build something. So if you're building a, you want to build a marriage, you want to build a family, you want to build a career, you want to build an education, want to build a business or whatever, the myth could be all I need to do is to choose to be a builder, to pay the price uh, and show up and build. And I would wish that that was true. But there's one thing that probably every builder here knows, especially if you've been a builder of any kind, building anything for any length of time. A very peculiar thing happens when you set out to build, wreckers will show up at the workplace. And you'll begin to wonder to yourself, if I'm building, what are the wreckers doing here? You know, and you can find yourself saying some pretty, pretty interesting things as a builder trying to build while people are trying to tear your work down. I mean, you can say something like, why would anybody be against this? After all, if you're a builder, then ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to make life better for everybody. And let me just see if I have any other builders who have thought through this before. You've said to yourself, why could anybody be against this? I'm not getting anything personal out of this. I'm just trying to make things better for everybody. Don't they understand I'm sacrificing? So who could, who could be against this? Or it could be that you think about think something like this. You know, I'm not actually asking you to do the work. I'm the one willing to do the work. So if I'm willing to do the work, why would you trouble me while I'm trying to do the work? Or maybe in frustration, you've had a thought like this. You know, while you're building and somebody's trying to tear your work down, you, you just want to say to yourself, would you please let me get finished with this before you start tearing it down? Let me at least get a look at it once to see it once in its final completion. Then you can start wrecking it. Why, why can't you just let me get finished here? And so all these thoughts, if you're a builder and you've had them, you understand it's a sort of peculiar thing. Because if you're building, why do wreckers show up trying to wreck your work? Well, a whole lot of the story of Nehemiah is the story of Nehemiah while he is building, trying to deal with these wreckers who are trying to tear his work down before it ever gets completed. A whole lot of the book is devoted to that. And I've seen it, and I've known it's coming. But between you and me, I think I put it off to week five because he wants to talk about wreckers. Me, I love talking about builders. But if you are a builder, you're going to have to deal with these wreckers who show up. And, and you see them in Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, just real quick background. I know that many of you have been with us these five weeks, and you don't need for me to go over history, old history, one more time. But if this is your first time to be here, let me just give you a real quick thumbnail sketch of who Nehemiah is. The book of Nehemiah shows up in the middle of your Old Testament, but the story actually happens at the end of the Old Testament. In fact, the very last history 
before the 400 years of silence and Jesus shows up is the story of Nehemiah. The Jewish people have been in captivity for 150 years, first to the Babylonians and then to the Persians. And the Persians had been very genteel with the Jewish people, and they had said, you guys can go back home. And 100 years before Nehemiah, a Persian king had actually funded the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. But as we've said so many times, it's an odd juxtaposition. You have a magnificent new temple surrounded by a wasteland. But see, nobody can live in Jerusalem. It's all broken down, and there are no walls. There's no security there. So how peculiar is that? A beautiful temple and a, and a chaotic wasteland. Nehemiah, is not a, he's not a preacher. He's not a, not a religious leader. Nehemiah is a business person. He works for the king of Persia. He's the CFO of Persia. And he's heard how bad the situation in Jerusalem is. And he goes to his king, the most powerful man in the world, king of Persia, and says, Sir, can I take a little time off and go back and rebuild the walls? And the king said, Not only can you have the time off, I'll fund it. I'll give you a blank checkbook. And beyond that, I'll give you an army to take care of you on the way there and on the way back. So that's the story of Nehemiah. And I'm thinking to myself, if I can get into Nehemiah's head, I'm a builder. All I have to do is get there, get a group of people around me, do the prep work, and we can start building the walls. But out of nowhere, in chapter 2, verse 10, we discover that Nehemiah is not going to build the walls without opposition. He's got a group of builders, but wreckers are showing up at the build site. Read with me. When Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very upset, angry that anyone would come to look after the interests of the people of Israel. Now, this is a bizarre thing, and I don't know that everybody's experienced this, but I think if you're a builder, you'll experience it sooner or later. You will be puzzled as to why people get upset when you're trying to do good things for people. That's a peculiar thing. You would think that if you're trying to do good things for people, everybody would be happy. But you're going to discover, if you're at it long enough, that not everybody's happy when you try to help people. Now, why is that? Well, on a spiritual level, I think there's a God-Satan thing kind of going on, and you and I get caught in the crossfire. But on a practical level, you need to think, think this through with me, because I think it's pretty, it's, it's, it starts being pretty obvious when we, when we work through it. In a situation where you have chaos, which is what had been happening in Jerusalem for 150 years, the wrong people can come to power. And people like Sam, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, they weren't even Jewish people. How did they come to power in Jerusalem? I don't know, but it had been chaos. See, here's the thing. And some of you will have to build in a chaotic situation. Maybe you're coming into a family and it's in chaos because there's been a breakup of the family and you're trying to start over and blend a family. Or it could be that you have to take over a failing team where you work and it's chaos. What you will discover is that when you're in a situation that's been chaotic, a lot of times the wrong people will come to power and influence because good people tend to be doing one of two things in chaos. They're either leaving or grieving. One more time, and that's not my message. That's just in for free tonight. When you're brought into a chaotic situation, frequently you'll have to deal with the wrong people who've come to power because good people are leaving. They're saying, I don't know, I'm through with this. This family is crazy. And somebody's taking a bunch of crazy pills here, and I just don't want to stay here anymore. I'm gone. I'm, I'm just... I've had, I've had all I'm going to take. Or, uh, you know what, there are lots of ways to make a living and I don't have to work here. So, good people either be leaving or they will stay and grieve, but grieving people are in no shape to build. So, in that vacuum, up comes the wrong people. Beyond that, uh, in a chaotic situation, oftentimes wreckers will use that to exploit people. This, we were, way, we're in way too much of a hurry to spend a lot of time talking about American history, but those of you who love American history, you know we're a nation of immigrants. 
one of the peculiarities of when immigrants came to the United States, a lot of times they would be on the, on the bottom of the, of the social order. And there were times when officials took advantage of these immigrant people. And so there would be vigilante groups that would grow up among these immigrant people. And some of those became organized crime. But here's what's ironic about that. When you study American history, if you look at Irish organized crime, who do they take advantage of? The Irish. When you look at Italian organized crime, who do they take advantage of? The Italians. So what can happen is in a chaotic situation, exploiters will use that as an opportunity to harm people who, who they wouldn't otherwise get a chance to harm. I mean, in our world today, to make this a lot more practical, we deal with a lot of abusers. And how many times do abusers, uh, uh, people who abuse children, people who sexually abuse, how many times do they do their work in a chaotic situation? And by the way, could I just say something today? If there's, if there's a guy here and you, and you abuse a woman or you abuse a child, I want to tell you what you're doing makes God very unhappy. In fact, it made Jesus so mad one day. He said that anybody who would abuse a child, it would be better for that man to have a millstone tied around his neck and to be thrown in a sea. In the sea. Just so you'll know what a millstone was, it was four feet thick and a uh, four feet wide and a foot thick. So you can imagine having a necklace like that around. You ain't gonna be doing any swimming. Jesus was really upset that day when he said that. So I just want to make it clear that anyone who would abuse you make God very unhappy and God sees what you're doing. Please stop that in Jesus' name. So what happens in a chaotic situation, wrong people sometimes come to power because good people are leaving or grieving. Um, sometimes people exploit others in a chaotic situation. In a chaotic situation, wreckers aren't always identified, but here is the big one. And I'd love for everybody to watch this, especially if you're, if you're a builder and you've been called in to correct a chaotic situation. Building means structure, order, and discipline. Anytime you build, there's going to be structure, there's going to be order, there's going to be discipline. Now, here's the thing. Am I talking to anybody in management here who's been brought in to a chaotic situation at work and you've been brought in to bring what? Order, discipline, structure. How many of you have noticed that you're not always the most popular person in the corporation? Why? Because in that chaos, the wrong people have risen to influence. And your very presence there means there's going to be order and structure. Some of you know this as a step-parent because you, you know, you're, you're, you're part of a second marriage or a third marriage. And in the chaos that was the breakup of your mate's home, kids are not reckless, but sometimes they rise to power and they shouldn't be in power. In that chaos, they rose to power. And you're, you come in as the stepmom or the stepdad and you love those kids and you want to see them have a brand, new, a brand new start at life, but you'll discover that instead of your efforts being rewarded, sometimes you'll find those efforts are pushed back against. Why is that? Because your very presence there represents structure, order, and discipline. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today. That's not what my talk's about, but just to make the point that that's why oftentimes the wrong people rise to power when there's a chaotic situation. Well, this is a beautiful talk today, not because I'm anything special, I'm not. It's a beautiful talk because Nehemiah's gonna take us to school. In fact, I don't even think this is a sermon, it's a list. Nehemiah's enemies are gonna try seven different tactics to try to stop him. And we're gonna see how Nehemiah responds to those. And so if you want to take the notes on this or check the sermon out later online or something, 
It's a really good thing to do because what you'll discover is that every time Nehemiah tries to build, his wreckers, his enemies will ratchet up the, they'll ratchet up the attack and then Nehemiah is going to respond to them. Before we get into these seven things though, I want to give you the conclusion to the sermon. And I want to give you the conclusion now because you're going to need it as we work through these seven things. And here it is. You've already picked up it, picked some of it up already. When you build, you'll have wreckers. It's about the building, not about the wreckers. If it ever becomes about the wreckers, you're in trouble. Nehemiah's opponents cannot stop him, slow him down, or impede his progress. The only thing they can do is get inside his head. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen. If you're a builder, the challenge is to keep the wreckers from getting inside your head. But here's maybe the best way I can say it. Overcoming the wreckers isn't defeating them. It's building the wall. Can I say that one more time? When you're trying to build and you have wreckers show up at your build site, the win is not beating them. The win is building what you set out to build. If you try to build a family and wreckers show up, the win is not beating them. You, you, you can't get to the place where you say, I feel good because I bested them. The win is building a family. And so it, here it goes with Nehemiah. We're going to just work through seven attacks and seven responses from Nehemiah, or at least six responses, and then we'll go home. We're going to go through these pretty fast. Okay? Here's the first thing that happens. The first thing Nehemiah's opponents try to do to attack him. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19. When Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contentiously. What are you doing? Look at this question. Are you rebelling against the king? Well, work with me. Was Nehemiah rebelling against the king? Who did he ask permission to go? The king. On whose, on whose permission was he there? The king. On whose funding was he there? The king. Why in the world would they ask him if he was rebelling against the king? Here it is. The first thing they tried was to impugn his motive. If you're a builder, don't be surprised if someone doesn't come along and impugn your motive. But here's the irony of it. Notice how many times they will accuse you of the last thing you would be guilty of. Why is that so successful? I mean, I mean just wondering, first of all, anybody else here try to build? And you, and you start out to build and somebody will come along and accuse you of the very last thing you would possibly do. And that being your motive. And, and how many of you have said to them something like this? Or you may not say it to them. You just think you want to say it. You want to say, look, if you want to accuse me of something, I'll write out all kinds of things I'm guilty of and sign my name and give you the list and say, knock yourself out. Criticize me for all these things. That would be true. Why is it that they accuse you of something that would be the last thing you would do? A couple of reasons. Number one, you don't see it coming. You don't see it coming because you would never do that. And it just comes out of nowhere. And then it cuts your heart out because you think to yourself, well, I would never do that. Guys, listen to me. I've spent my life as a builder. But not only have I spent it as a builder, I've spent it working with builders all around the country and around the world to some degree. You know what I've discovered? There are a lot of builders who will stop when somebody impugns their motive this way. They'll like pull back and say, oh, I better stop because I would never, I wouldn't want anybody to think I would be guilty of that. Well, guys, here's the thing. If somebody impugns your motive, don't let it stop your work because wreckers calculate that to accomplish that very purpose. When wreckers accuse you of the last thing you would do, they know you're not guilty. They just are doing, they're not saying what they feel is truth. They're saying what they're saying that they believe is calculated to do damage to you. I love Nehemiah's response. Actually, when I saw Nehemiah's response, I thought I'm going to have to ratchet up how I react to this 
because I like Nehemiah's response better. In Nehemiah 2 verse 20, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. Look at this. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. What did Nehemiah say about that? See, here's the thing. When somebody impugns your motives and accuses you of the last thing you would do, what's happening is you get all mixed up in your mind and think, wow, what's true and what's false here? Love what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said to the enemies, look, we know who we are. Don't try to accuse us of something we know. We know who we are. We are God's servants here. We're here on permission of the king. We know who we are. We're going to build this wall. And by the way, we know who you are. I like that. When they tried to mix everything up, Nehemiah said, we know who we are. By the way, it's important. If you're God's woman in God's time doing God's job, then you need to know who you are. That is who you are. Don't let somebody tell you that you're not that person. Don't let somebody tell you that you're a, that you're a weakling or that you're a failure. If you're God's woman in God's time doing God's job, then you know who you are. If you're God's man in God's time doing God's job, you know who you are. And don't let anybody tell you any different. You take your identity from God, right? Well, when that didn't work, they went, to, they went to tactic two. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one. Sam Ballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends, well, what does this bunch of four, poor feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something out of stones from rubbish heap and char ones of that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, yeah, the stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. It's hard to be laughed at, isn't it? Second thing they did was they mocked him. They made fun of him. Listen, guys, I got to tell you something. I've met a lot of builders in my life who shut down because somebody made fun of them. And you know, it, it doesn't feel good. And when somebody's posting messages on Facebook about you, mocking you, making fun of you, when, when they're over there in the corner talking about you, you know, and laughing and everything, that's kind of hard to keep building, isn't it? But that's what the second thing that happened to Nehemiah. And, and I just love this. I love Nehemiah's response here. And it's in chapter 4, verse 4. He said, I prayed. When somebody's making fun of you, that's a good thing to do. I prayed. But notice his prayer. Hear us, our God, for we're being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Don't blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger in front of the builders. And then look at this. I just keep loving this. Verse 6. At last the wall was completed to half its height. Do you notice how it goes from the builder, the, the wreckers, the attack they make, Nehemiah's response, and Nehemiah says, oh, by the way, we just kept right on rocking on. We kept building the wall. When somebody makes fun of you, or someone mocks you. And that has gotten to be a big thing in our culture today. I even know Christians. I mean, Christians who almost brazenly tell me, you know, it's almost as if they're saying, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. You know what? I'd lose that if I were you. Because God has a thing about mockers. When you read scripture, I mean, it's like mockers just sort of really get under God's skin. The sarcastic, making fun of people kind of person. I don't know why that blazes God like it does, but it really... That really gets under his skin. I wouldn't do it if I were you. You know, these, these late night comics that make so much fun of God? You know, I would sure hate to be them when they face God. And so Nehemiah, he, 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 just, he didn't say anything to him. He just said to God, Lord, you hear the mocking and you know how you feel about mockers. And not only that, they've done it publicly in front of the rest of the builders. 
I do, I do notice this, church. Nehemiah didn't respond to them. And there's a practical reason for that. And Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7 gives it to us. Anyone who rebukes a mocker will get an insult in return, so don't bother. Nehemiah just ignored them and kept on building. And all the time, Nehemiah's enemies are watching this wall come up. And so now they're going to resort to threats of frontal attack. Let's read this. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. When Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arab and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, notice this, it's, it's, the opposition's growing, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Now, for the first time, Nehemiah has a threat of frontal attack. Well, what does he do? Read with me. Chapter 4, verse 9. But we prayed to our God and, boy, that's a huge and right there in New Spring. We prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Please hear me today. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have to sit and watch somebody tear down what you're building up. Can I say it one more time? Just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean you sit and passively watch somebody blow up your family or tear up your child or tear up what you're trying to build. You don't have to do that. And I do notice this. Nehemiah did not attack his attackers, but they were prepared to defend themselves. And in our world today, we don't live in a world where it's physical. We live in a world where it's legal. Or we live in a world today where it's, it's, it's part of the situation, the, the, the work environment. There are things... The mechanisms involved in your work situation where you can deal with grievances. And all I'm trying to say to you, it is not unchristian when you are trying to build something that's going to make things better for other people. It's, it's not unchristian to defend yourself in a situation like that. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to the work of the wall. You see that? You see that continuum there? They deal with the opposition. They just keep rocking on. They keep working on the wall. Well, this, all of you leaders, heads up here, especially family leaders and business leaders, military leaders. When you're building and you're dealing with opposition, it's real easy to get into the, it's easy to get into the routine of thinking of things in terms of good guys and bad guys. Well, one of the things that builders understand is that from time to time, you're going to have problems arise from within your own team. In other words, you're going to have problems with the good guys. The good guys are going to have a hard time getting along with the other good guys. And in this case, there was a great income inequality among Nehemiah's group. And there were some very, very wealthy people who were taking advantage of some poor people. And these are all people that were part of Nehemiah's building team. And in those days, if you borrowed money, you couldn't pay it back. Then oftentimes your children would have to become servants to the people you owe money to. And that was going on while they were trying to build. So in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 5, this fourth attack, uh, the people came to Nehemiah, the poor people said, we belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just as theirs, yet we must sell our children to slavery just to get enough money to live. Now, think about Nehemiah and put yourself in his place. He hasn't stopped the work for anything yet. He didn't stop it when they impugned his motives. He didn't stop the work when... You know, they made fun of him. He didn't stop the work even when they were under attack. They guarded and they, they built. But for the first time, Nehemiah shuts everything down because he needs to have a meeting. See, it would be tempting to Nehemiah to say, well, we're so busy building right now, we'll, we'll settle these personal squabbles when we get through with the wall. But if he, hadn't, if he hadn't dealt with the conflict 
between his team members, then he could have, the whole thing could have blown up. So I love what Nehemiah does. He, he brings together everybody and he has a meeting about team chemistry. In Nehemiah 5 verse 8, at the meeting I said to them, we're doing all we can. Now he's looking into the face of these rich people who are exploiting poor people and he's basically saying to them, don't we have enough trouble without you guys doing this? And they didn't have anything to say. Verse 9, then I pressed further, what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, Nehemiah said, I'm setting an example. I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. Now let's stop this business. Nehemiah said, Let, let's stop this. Let the, you know, sometimes you have to have a family meeting and say, let's stop this. Sometimes you have to have a meeting at work and say, let's stop this. It's time for this to end. And when you do that, Give people, give people room to self-correct because thankfully these, these rich people were misbehaving. They said, you're right. Uh, Nehemiah 5.12, they replied, we'll give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. And the good news is there was peace among Nehemiah's group. In Nehemiah 5.13, the whole assembly responded, amen, and they praised the Lord. Sometimes you have to stop, take care of internal chemistry. Well, let's go to the next thing. All this time, the walls are coming up, you know. And Nehemiah's enemies, they've tried everything. They've, they've uh, made fun of their motives. They've mocked them. They've threatened to attack them. They've kind of stirred something up. I think the enemy stirred up the thing that was going on with Nehemiah's people. And now they're going to change tactics because they're like, well, we're going to have to make Nehemiah think that we're, we're his buddy. Is there anything more saccharine when somebody you know is your enemy comes to you and acts like they're trying to do something to help you, and you know they've got the knife ready to plunge into your back. Read this with me. I'm going to read a little bit because I want you to feel this. Sam Ballot, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and no gaps remained, though we'd not set the doors and the gates. So they sent a message asking me to meet them. In other words, like, Nehemiah, let's have a meeting here. And if there's one of the greatest names in the Bible is in this verse. So they sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Is that not a good name? <laughs> uh, Nehemiah, come meet with us in Ono. Huh. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. The fifth time, Sam Ballot's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. You ever have anybody come like, I'm trying to help you. There's a rumor going around around, and you know they started the rumor. Read it. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true. Well, Geshem was one of their boys. Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to his, these reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to preach about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest you come and talk it over with me in the plain of Ono. When your opposition can't beat you, sometimes they will start trying to negotiate with you or to intimidate through negotiation. I just love this. I've loved this since I was a teenager. I think I preached a sermon on this when I was 17. I love this verse. I replied by sending this message to them. I'm engaged in great work and I can't come. <laughs> Translate, I'm busy. You're lazy, you're nothing but a wrecker. You're not doing anything but causing trouble, and I'm busy. We don't have anything to meet about. I like this. He said, um, why should I stop working and come meet with you? Now, guys, I'm going to go into about two and a half minutes 
of controversial stuff. So I want to warn you before we go there, okay? So just everybody grab hold because I know we're living in the 21st century and I know 21st century political correctness. Here we go. Not everyone who demands a meeting with you needs a meeting with you. Can I say that one more time? I know we live in this egalitarian age. Not everyone who demands a meeting with you needs a meeting with you. If they're a wrecker and all they're trying to do is cause trouble, if they're demanding a meeting with you, you don't have to have a meeting with them, okay? That's semi-controversial. Now let me give you a real controversial one, all right? There is no article in the Bill of Rights that entitles everyone who emails you a response. <laughs> I'm saying that because some of us are fuzzy on the Constitution. Could I say it one more time? There is no article in the Bill of Rights that entitles everyone who emails you or messages you a response. You know, here's the thing. If you're dealing with a wrecker, you don't have to respond to them. Lord knows I have a hard enough time getting back to all the people I want to send back emails to and people I need to get an email to. Wreckers can, you can waste your life with wreckers and they know it. They know it. But you know what? You don't owe everybody a meeting who demands a meeting with you. And you don't owe everybody a response. <coughs> Silence can be very eloquent. Now, every wrecker in the room is furious with me right now. But all the builders just got free, okay? <laughs> so uh, we'll just accept that. Nehemiah just said in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 8, I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. And then he adds a footnote just for our benefit. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Nehemiah said, I decided to go work harder. Love that. Okay, here's the, here's the sixth thing. And I find it interesting that it occurs so late in the story of Nehemiah because every builder here is going to experience this at least at one time in your life where you're exhausted, you're hanging by your fingernails, the outcome could still be in, in doubt, and you're going to have the temptation to cut a corner, to cut an ethical corner. This will happen because you're just wondering, am I going to make it? And something or someone will come along to tempt you to bend the law or break the law or do something in a gray area, or just do something that you would be ashamed of later on. And after Nehemiah has dealt with all this stuff, his enemies are plotting such a situation for him. See, Nehemiah is not a religious leader. And like I said, he's a business person. And that's his background. So consequently, he would be susceptible to a spiritual leader in his life giving him advice. And what happens is there is a spiritual leader, some kind of preacher of some kind, who's confined to his house, and he asks Nehemiah to come over and see him. Well, Nehemiah's going to go over and see this spiritual leader. And when he gets there, the spiritual leader says, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. This spiritual leader in Nehemiah's life says, come into the temple. It's okay, Nehemiah. You know, come into the temple. We'll lock the doors because there's people out to kill you. This would have been blasphemy for Nehemiah to do this. In fact, it would have been Nehemiah flipping God off with both hands. Now, guys, I want to tell you, I don't know how far you had to drive because a lot of you drive a long ways to be at New Spring here. But for every builder here, what I'm about to share with you is worth however far you had to drive. Because whenever you get tempted to cut a corner, when you get tempted to do something ethically or legally or spiritually that you would be embarrassed about, Nehemiah's response 
I love it. It has ministered to me since I've worked on this message. Nehemiah just asked, should a man like me run away? Or maybe if we looked at it in a broader, more generic sense, it would be should a man or if you're a female, change it to a woman. Should a man like me do something like this? Should a woman like you do something like this? I just love Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah was saying, look, if I did that, it wouldn't be me. If I did that, I would be out of character. A person like me doesn't do something like this. Do you feel that in your heart? I mean, are you a person who has ethics, a person who has character, a person that's, I mean, you are somebody to God and you realize you're God's daughter, you're God's son. And as a creation of God who loves God, who is in a relationship with him, there are just some things that you won't do. I love that. Nehemiah said, should somebody like me do something like that. And he goes on to say, they had paid off this preacher. You know, there are preachers who are false preachers. They paid this preacher off in the hopes that Nehemiah would commit a sin and they would have something to, to rip him for. Well, the seventh thing as I close out today, today's talk um, really occurs at the end of Nehemiah's story of building. And, and um, the reason I, I leave it for the seventh thing is evidently it went on the entire time they were building and we really don't know how Nehemiah dealt with it. Let me read it to you. Uh, during those 52 days, the days it took to build the wall, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. Now, Tobiah, he's Nehemiah's main enemy. He's the guy that's been causing all trouble. Nobles of Judah, that's, that's supposed to be Nehemiah's inner circle. I mean, this is Nehemiah's leaders. Letters were going back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was, you know, that works. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds. Can you imagine? Poor Nehemiah's getting all these threats from Tobiah, and, and yet Nehemiah's leaders have been coming to them saying, yeah, Tobiah's a wonderful guy. All this time, Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. I think one of the hardest things to deal with when you're a builder and you have wreckers at the build site is to have people in the middle. People that are sort of with you when they're with you, but they're not with you the rest of the time. Because after all, the outcome is in, in question, isn't it? And they hedge their bets because they're with you if they think you're going to win. And they're with the other side if they think the other side's going to win. And they're two-faced. I don't know about you, but I have a personal deep disrespect for those kinds of human beings. People in the middle. Well, whatever Nehemiah did about it, he just kept building and at the end of the day, and I, like I say, I put this talk off to the fifth because it's, it's not the most positive talk. If you're a builder, you're going to have records at the work site. And some of you, I know because I've already gotten messages from New Springers in these first four services. Some of you thought it was a really bizarre thing, and it's helped you just to find out it's pretty common. It doesn't make your situation any easier, but it's like, well, at least I know I'm not crazy. But the challenge, and I want to go back to where we started today. When you build, you will have records. It's about the building and not about the records. If it ever becomes about the records, you're in trouble. Nehemiah's enemies could not stop him, slow him down, or thwart his progress. All they could do is get inside his head. And the great thing about Nehemiah is he'd never let them get inside his head. And this simple statement at the end. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. If you're, if you're building right now and you have records at the work site, do what you have to do and respond 
like Nehemiah coaches us to respond. But don't get your mind off the building and think about the records. It's about the building. And remember this, defeating your enemies won't be in defeating your enemies. It'll be in building the walls. I give this, I speak to leaders a lot these days. I train leaders around the country. And I've said this so many times, and I'll say it to you. You don't have to beat your opposition. Just outlast them. One more time. You don't have to beat your opposition. Just outlast them. You say, how can I outlast them, Mark? What we just read. Nehemiah said, we just kept building. And I guess 52, 52 days, that's got to be a world record of some kind. I mean, there they were with primitive, primitive instruments and charred rock to work with. And yet in 52 days, they built the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah said, our opposition was humiliated because they knew our God was there helping us. If you're God's woman in God's time doing God's work, building what God has called you to build, there is a God in heaven who will help you against all comers. If you're God's man in God's time doing God's work, there is a God who will help you build that company, help you build that family, help you build that relationship. At the end of the day, someday you'll stand back and the people around you, whether they love you or hate you, they will know this, that you had a God who helped you do this because there's just no other explanation. Thank you for being here. We'll start next. <laughs>